What are we saying? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. You started already. Okay. All right. Oh, it's going to be quiet. Oh, I thought, okay. Yeah. You're very tired today. I am. <laughs> I like, just came from work, so I'm just like. He's just frazzled. <sighs> All right. Okay. I'm going to say one, two, three, silence. Okay. Hi, guys. Welcome to Brainstorm. This is an art podcast where we ask you to trash your erasers because we're going to lead you through the wild world of art making. Um, this is a podcast hosted by two pencil-wielding goons, Garo Kusal, that would be me, and Garrett Lai. That's a me, yeah. Yeah. So I am Garo. I am a monster enthusiast and caffeine addict. Garrett, would you like to say something about yourself? Yes, I'm a comic artist, illustrator, and bicon, bisexual icon. And um, today we are going to be talking about how to navigate creating during massive social change and disruption, whether or not you're in the middle of that change and disruption or not. Hopefully everyone is affected by what's going on right now um, because we want everybody to be involved. If you feel like an outsider, then we hope that this episode will help to guide you in a direction that helps. As everybody knows, we are back and local to Portland and we just want to um, shine a light on what's happening right now, giving the nightmare that we're living in. Um, since we talked to you last, the secret police are now out of Portland, and we've just been giving the floor um, to Black creative friends throughout this whole time, uh, and we want to create a safe space for them to express their feelings and visions for the future. So this is our second guest, incredible actress, performance artist, businesswoman extraordinaire, JL Brown. Do you care to introduce yourself, JL? <laughs> Thank you. That's such a nice introduction. <laughs> Hi, um, I am JL Brown. I, as Garrett said, I'm an actress. I'm a makeup artist. I am, I guess, newly a businesswoman. And I am a Philadelphia-based artist. Hell yeah. That's a hell of a lot on a single plate. That is amazing. <laughs> I guess I just wanted to start by asking you to just tell us a little bit about your work and what you create. I know that recently you've been like um, more into makeup and you have an awesomely successful YouTube channel and you were just recently featured on the Today Show's website, which is crazy for your makeup. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's been kind of crazy. I fell into makeup when I had to take a break from acting when I came back from school. I, I kind of always liked makeup. But I fell into that and I've just been really passionate about really kind of creating a platform for a lot of people that I feel like are underrepresented in the makeup world. It's like kind of crazy. People don't realize it, but there's a lot of underrepresentation, especially if you're of a deeper skin tone. So I really just kind of fell in love with the artistry aspect of it. And then the social activism aspect of it really called me as well. And then I found that it can really inform me as a performer because it allows me to kind of deeper dive into my characters because I'm thinking about, you know, how would they make themselves up every day? Like, why would they choose this color? And it really is something that I've been really just fascinated by. I wish that when we were back in school and we had to take like color theory classes, I had thought of this because it probably would have helped me a lot more because I didn't really get it back then. But now mm. it's definitely coming more into light. So that's been really dope. And most recently, I have ventured into being like a producer and working in more in the film world. I kind of came from doing 
almost exclusively theater stuff to doing more film and, t- and TV with my sister, where we're in the process of finishing um, a film that we worked on together. I produced and was a makeup artist for, and she wrote and directed it. And we've had it kind of on the festival circuits, and we're just finishing up the last little bits of it for its official premiere. That's amazing. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, or are you keeping it a secret for the film? I can tell you a little bit. <laughs> I can tell you as much as she says. Sure. Um, so it's a film called Small and Mighty, um, and it is a love letter to our dad who passed away a few years ago. He was a veteran, um, and he suffered from some PTSD, and our grandfather was also, both of our grandfathers were also veterans on my dad's side and my mom's side. My grandfather on my dad's side was one of the few black, I don't know what they're called, groups of, of troops. I don't know the military lingo for that. Um, in World War II, like at the end of World War II. And my grandpa on my mom's side uh, served in Korea and he suffered a lot there. And he had just a lot of PTSD between just like regular war stuff, both of them, and like actual racial tensions and stuff that they experienced. Yeah. So we grew up with a lot of that not being talked about and seeing the effects that it had on them. And so my sister wrote a film about... You know, a black man dealing with PTSD, with this mental health issue, and what it looks like for our community, you know, and how not talking about it really affects the black community. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you say that there's like kind of a taboo within Because I, I feel like within a lot of POC communities, like sometimes there can be a taboo about like mental health. Um, like oh, talking yeah. About it, like talking about not only mental health, but like sexuality and stuff. So do you feel like coming from that, like that also informed your work? Yes, absolutely. That's something that I think about a lot and that I have finally been able to kind of talk with my family a lot about lately. We've been talking about it more and more because I think we kind of reached a point where we're like, there's so much happening and we have to make a decision to either support each other and uplift each other and actually talk about what's going on Mm -hmm. or like watch our family fall apart, you know? And I think it's very prevalent in a lot of communities of color for the families to be close knit in a way that's like almost unrecognizable outside of those communities of color, because, you know, we've had to kind of struggle in very similar ways that other people can't quite understand. And within that, there's a lot of this kind of stigma around, you know, mental health, because it's like, well, you're just being weak. Like they went through it. They were fine. They did this. They're fine. You just have to like push through. Like we don't need your tears. We don't need this. I notice especially a lot in communities of color comes to like, just pray it away. Like you'll be fine. And it's not addressing like you need to go and seek help. And it's not easy for people to talk about it. I think especially for, for anybody, but I notice like with men, with black men, they really have an issue talking about mental health because it's this really big sign of weakness to them instead of them recognizing it as being just this toxicity that was forced upon them. And I think that women, I've noticed a lot of Black women are really reclaiming their right to talk about mental health, which has been awesome. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we've been able to extend a hand for Black men to open the door and do the same. So that's something that I'm glad that our, you know, our film talks about and I'm glad that it's actually happening in the real world. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because people of color, people who have been oppressed in the past, people who have gone through so many struggles, I hear a lot about something called generational trauma, Mm -hmm. which is like, it's not only just the immediate trauma of something, it's your community carries 
hundreds or sometimes thousands of years of trauma with them. Mm-hmm. And I think people fail to realize that sometimes and that it's just such a weight to bear and so so much to get through sometimes it feels like but that every generation can take a step towards healing yeah and that's just amazing and that is incredible that you're like adding your voice to that and like getting involved in that healing well thank you yeah i'm really glad that you brought up the um generational uh trauma because i think that's really true i think that i really have to give it to my sister because she's the best writer that i know and she wrote this in such a loving way and she really pinpointed the fact that there is this level of generational trauma you know we talked about it the other day a lot of experts have said this actually black people in particular have a generational ptsd that Mm -hmm. dates back to slavery and it's just not addressed you know it's why people you know i hate the term when people use like oh the race card because i'm like that doesn't exist (laughs) that's not a thing it's not like something i can play to get ahead in in anything like it's it's not helping me in any aspect there's a reason why people get so sore about certain things like there's so much that triggers black people and it's because we have these generations of pain that is just passed down and it's really hard and it's a really heavy burden to bear right down to like I remember I would sit in class and they would have us you know the one time a year they talked about (laughs) what happened in history to black people and they're like we're gonna have the two black kids like sit towards the front (laughs) and they would play you know them hosing you know people with marching with Martin Luther King in the streets and the dogs attacking and everything. Where's the front? <laughs> it was just they wanted us to be able to kind of lead the discussion. That's oh like, okay yeah. You know that type of thing like because we were obviously the best ones to do it as children. Yeah. Um, oh god. god. <laughs> and you know seeing that and just the hurt that that brings and the fear that that brings and you're just like oh my god like and it's it's a constant ongoing thing that just doesn't get talked about yeah and that's real. they start talking about that stuff very young mm-hmm. so i can only imagine like how young that's like indoctrinated into you and like i've heard of stress physically changing people's like genes and stuff like that so it is interesting with the you know factor of generational trauma it's like it's not only nature but it's also nurture because like it's in the environment you grow up in and it's a constant so it's just not going to go away unless you know we continue to fight for it too no that's so incredibly telling that like even as children people of color are just like okay you're shoved in the front like suddenly you have to be the the voice of an entire community like Like, you are the yeah token like you have to be the forefront of like everything that like your community must say and that is just insane to me that like they would do that to children like it's just such a burden to bear at such a young age you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's sad it's it really is like i've been looking through this uh twitter page for the area that i like grew up going to school in and a lot of black people have been sharing their stories dating back to like the 70s of what they experienced from middle school to high school at these schools and it just is it's so sad the things that are like so prevalent across these different schools it's like we never even interacted but I had this exact same experience Mm -hmm. with 
a different teacher. And what makes it even worse, honestly, is for people that I didn't necessarily go to school with, but they went to the same school as me and they maybe graduated before me or after me, them sharing these stories and everybody that like I did go to school with being, oh, it's that same teacher that did that to us, but they did it like 10 years ago or they did it last year. And it's just really sad. I, I read this one thing that really, really just blew my mind. I was like, I don't even know how to respond to this. Um, at the school that I graduated high school from, one student was like really brave enough to say, I feel very uncomfortable that I am the only black student in this class. And I'm like maybe one of four students in our entire grade that's black. And at the end of the class, the teacher pulled her aside and handed her a book that literally was titled how to handle being the only black student in your class and just sent her on her way and like that was supposed to just like she was like you know fend for yourself read this book like you like trying to unpack that I can't even imagine like I thankfully didn't have that particular experience happen to me but like the fact that it did happen at all and that we were all like oh we're pretty sure we know which teacher this was like we're pretty sure we know when this happened you know it's just it's crazy oh my god yeah it's just crazy how it's such a giant evil octopus that's just like when you grow up in a classroom where like you're the only black kid or like there's only one black kid in your school or your class like like as a as a non-black person like how how on earth are you going to be exposed to the black perspective if like there's one black kid in your school or like now thankfully we have the internet Mm -hmm. but back then people didn't necessarily have access to like other voices so they grew up just like oh i'm in my white bubble and then it's just ah, it's just wild Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's true i think it's interesting that something that i do see pretty common is that they think that they're teaching what they should be teaching and kind of teaching about how racism was in literature because every year they want a group of freshmen or sophomores to read Huckleberry Finn <laughs> and I everybody has a debate over whether right every yeah. all we all have to read it everybody yeah. has a debate over whether or not to say the n-word and oh. it's a whole whole section of class that always oh. happens you know my teacher you know she decided to add in a couple other books here and there but you know Huck Finn was the main one you know I, I remember thinking like we went from reading Frederick Douglass's autobiography to reading Huckleberry Finn and I was just like there's so many other books that we could have read or even if you wanted to read this book and like teach us something like we could have had more added on with it and part of that is just the school's curriculum of what you're required to read but you know that's that's a big thing like you have to have more than just what has classically been in schools. You have to infuse more literature by non-white writers. You have to infuse more literature by people a part of the LGBTQ plus community. You need to infuse teachers that aren't just white. You have to have diversity and inclusivity across the board you need to have people on the school boards that are not just white Mm -hmm. you need to have changes in every single aspect when I went to school the only black faces that we saw that were adults were people that worked in the janitorial staff besides one person who worked in our IT room doing IT he was Mm -hmm. only there a couple days a week for IT everybody else was you know in the janitorial staff or I think at one point we had one person was like the lunch lady like but that was it there wasn't even anybody in the administration administration building they had like a secretary there that you know god bless her she was really sweet but she was losing her hearing and everything and they were like we will place her here over having somebody that is not white sitting at this desk we don't care we can't have a non-white face greeting these people coming to the school yeah and 
that's just kind of the culture that they have. You know, I graduated from that school in 2013 and it is now 2020. And I think maybe a year ago, it could be two years ago, they finally hired their first black teacher. And that is the wow. only black teacher they have on their staff. So I think that really speaks volumes, you know, like it really does. I was having a conversation with my friend Brooke about how important it is to see POC in positions of success and power. And Mm -hmm. I was talking about how I grew up in Miami and I lived in the Miami bubble for a very long time because the majority of people in Miami are Hispanic, usually like heavily Cuban. And so I grew up with examples of Hispanic excellence everywhere, like Mm -hmm. the mayor of Miami was probably Cuban. Like you look around and you see, okay, Hispanic business people, you see Hispanic teachers, you see people of color in positions of success. And then I left Miami and then suddenly I saw, you know, I went to Savannah, Georgia and it's crazy. Like most of the Hispanic people that I saw were in service positions Mm -hmm. and it's so hard when you're, a minority and like you feel like this this complete blockage to positions of power because you're like everywhere I look every every time I see a business person every time I see a CEO every time I see like a doctor blah blah, blah and it's just like the sea of white faces you're like where do I fit in here so that is such a great point you brought up about it's so important to have like successful Black writers, Black voices, Hispanic voices, LGBTQA voices in the curriculum, like just injected in there, you know, like, and from a young age, like, expose minority kids to successful people of color, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, Mm -hmm. because sometimes it can just be this vacuum where you're like, well, all I read about are like old dead white men. You know, like every, I'm I'm like struggling to think. I'm like, did I ever read anything in English class that was not by a dead white dude? (laughs) Probably probably not. And I can't, like, that's insane. And when you're saying like, it does really start when you're young, you're right. Like, I will never forget when you said that it made me remember. I used to work at this summer camp and it was a camp that um, was like a day camp for kids up to high schoolers but I was always with the like younger kids and it was a predominantly like rich white camp those are the predominant people that were there but it was Mm -hmm. you know had little infusions here and there of some people that were um, a part of different you know minority communities and I remember one class we had this like reading section they would have like classes instead of just like camp (laughs) and we had this little like reading section and I went to read this book and it was about this um, archaeological dig. I was so fascinated. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then it got to like breaking up what everybody was. And it has, these are the doctors and these are these and these are these. And then it's like, and these are the workers. And all of the workers were Latin men. Oh. All of them were Latino. Oh, and what? I was like, I was so upset. Yeah. And I, I showed it to my co-counsel because I didn't even want to read the page to the kids. I was like, why are they in this cat? Like, that's all they are. Mm-hmm. They're like... Really? I think the book took place in like Mexico, I believe. And I was like, so you're in this country and you're saying that all the people that are here are Mexican and they're only workers, but they can't also be the ones that found this site that are working on it as like doctors or scientists. And it was just so belittling. And I'm like, you're teaching these kids from a young age like and it was just really sad. And I'm like, this is what we're literally giving children to try and learn from were they were they photos or were they like drawings 
They were drawing. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, which makes it worse, right? Like, oh they were drawing. I, I feel like it, it makes it bad one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, if you're drawing, you have full control of that. If it's a photo, then, like, that's a poor distribution of jobs, you know? Like, mm-hmm. no matter which one it was, I mean, it's obviously bad. But the fact that it's an illustration shows those were purposeful decisions, which is fucked. That is horrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. either way, they're purposeful decisions. One just makes or may not have been made by whoever stuck those in the book which is yeah fucked. that is insane i have two things to say to that part of the conversation i had with my friend was like it's not enough to have the token oh let's put in like a hispanic character oh let's put in a black character oh let's put in an asian character it's not enough to just have a token character they need to be in positions of success mm-hmm. and excellence and power mm-hmm. We need to create this in the and have a backstory. Uh, yeah, we need to we need to like put this out into the collective consciousness of our society that like black people can be successful, Hispanic people can be successful. We need to start when people are children, like showing them examples of excellence. Yeah, because right now it's like fuck, like you know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a single show that I have watched that has like a powerful black protagonist. Besides Watchmen. And I'm really, really struggling right now. So either I'm not watching the right shows or the right shows aren't being produced. <laughs> you know? Like- yeah. I, I mean, I think of movies, things like Black Panther, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. But like how few and far between is that? Yeah, and then every, very few. Every fucking movie, every, every superhero, every billionaire, every like super hot model and like shows and anyone in positions of success, like it's most likely that they're going to be a white dude. Yeah, and a lot of times when those stories are made about Black people, they are made for Black people or with, like, Black people in mind, and it's a very focused and this is the point type of thing. It's not, like, like just a story or it's just something coming out. It's, like, Black Panther is very much a symbol, you know? I don't know, I because I do like the, the point being that, like, Black Panther is like that hero but also like why aren't there more black heroes in the Marvel universe why that's is he the only thing. one yeah like, why you is know he the only fucking yeah. like token yeah. black hero like what the fuck like why I love can't... the universe the yeah. world of Black Panther but it's yeah. also just like why isn't there more like why is all of the blackness concentrated in one movie yeah <laughs> you know? and why? as yeah Spider-Verse did like yeah. any of these other superheroes <laughs> could very easily be be black and black people obviously Mm -hmm. exist in all of those universes Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like why like i don't know i mean we know why they why they weren't included but just we we know yeah Yeah. (laughs) but like oh yeah no that's that's exactly right but i guess that kind of brings me to asking how you would like to see black people and just people of color in general i guess you could answer that too Kato. like you guys um would prefer to see these people depicted in art which mm-hmm. i feel like we've pretty much touched on but like i don't know what are your feelings about that well for that i just have to say i am so genuinely grateful and blessed that i have the parents that i do have because i think it's so important that we obviously know about all of the downtrodden ways in which black people have existed for so long mm-hmm. because we have to understand why it's so important that we show them in these positions of power. You know, when I would go to school and I would barely see Black people in my textbooks and I I did, you know, only in positions of them being like, 
brutalized in some type of way, mainly with slavery, I would, you know, go home and my parents would have textbooks for me of Black people dressed as as dignitaries. Mm. You know, my parents raised me with this ideology in my mind that I wasn't born of chains. I was born of kings and queens, that all of these original ideas and all of this education, that there were all of these things already established in Africa before slavery happened, before all of this happened. And so I grew up knowing that, but so many people didn't because so many people didn't even get the chance to have somebody tell them that. Mm -hmm. And so my idea is to, I think it's important to celebrate Black people as they are. I I really love the show Insecure, for example, Mm -hmm. because I think that Insecure shows Black people just in a very genuine light. Like, we are not perfect. We're not trying to be perfect. We're imperfect. We are a little goofy. We have our own trauma and our own issues. They exist in this world where they work in professional settings. They struggle in some cases with their jobs and with their lives and with their relationships, but they still have like a voice and they care about their communities and they care about what's going on with them and how racism in different forms is affecting their lives but they still navigate it and they have this sense of joy about them. I think it's important that we see the fullness of Black people and people of color in general on screen. You know, I I don't want to see another film with an Asian character being the butt of a joke Mm -hmm. because what is the joke? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to see that anymore. I don't want to see another movie where every time you have a minority person in it, they're degraded mm-hmm. in some sense. Why? What, what makes them any less than the next person? Like, I don't really get why it is so hilarious to see a person with broken English having a conversation. Like, I, I get, like, in, I, in some settings in comedy, if it's just, like, a loss in translation moment yeah. where somebody says something and like that's funny but when it comes to like making fun of somebody that's be i'm like this person is smart enough to speak two languages absolutely yeah (laughs) are you capable are you smarter than them and they can like speak two languages they mispronounce one word and you can barely speak your own language like yeah i i i I think we need to right like i just i just think that we need to see more of like people being successful in their lives and if you show them struggling, show how they are within that struggle. Don't just show the world constantly beating on them. Show them overcoming that struggle. Show them coming out of it. Yeah. You know? We've had some really heavy shows like The Wire um, that definitely showed Black people and what people initially thought was going to be a negative light. But I think that that show is hallowed as something so important because I've never even watched The Wire, but I've heard so much about it from literally any Black person I talk to that I know so much about mm-hmm. it on the surface. It's about drug dealers, but it shows a different side to like what's happening in certain communities that are poor in a way that you've never seen before. I think another great example is, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Moonlight. Uh, Our roommate has. Yeah. I want to watch it so bad. I but I'm too. also like, I need to set aside a day to just cry. <laughs> like I've heard it's just very... Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That movie is genuinely, and I'm a, I'm a very big movie person. When I say that movie is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen in my entire life. There is not a second of it that is not beautiful. Like even the really hard parts to get through are heartbreakingly beautiful. And it's shows somebody living in a very broken community and in a very broken situation and being relatively broken themselves, but still finding a way to breathe 
through that and still finding a way to navigate their lives and you see them stumble and you see the world beat down on them but you still have this sense of like hope for them and I think that that's what's missing I think those are the types of stories that I want to see more of you know I love my my classic black films like those are all those are for the culture I love them I love you know just laughing and everything but something that I've also always appreciated is that most of these like kind of for the culture classic black films they talk about the issues that aren't always out there and you're right it does definitely get marketed just to black people because they're like oh this is just for y'all but it's like no if you really sit down like you're probably not gonna get all the jokes some of them are very much like cultural jokes Mm -hmm. but the thematic material of it very very relevant Mm -hmm. to everybody oh yeah and I think that part of that goes into like funding and to casting and to everything and into marketing. You, there's so much black film that's being made that's not just, you know, Medea's Halloween. Jesus. No offense to Tyler Perry, but there's, there's, there's more out there than that. But he's the only one that, you know, people talk about and they recognize, but there's a lot more out there. He happens to have an entire studio where he can produce his movies yeah. and he can produce other films but before he did that like people had to struggle really to get out here and make these movies and they weren't getting supported by hollywood to do it yeah you know absolutely so even even with him you know even though you know he is a butt of a lot of jokes i have mad respect for him because at the end of the day he built an empire that is very rare to yeah. see and his empire has afforded you know a lot of other black voices to have a platform that they didn't have before you know and it's sad that it had to take you know one person to be the butt of a joke for so long in order to do that but you know it just goes to show you what would have happened if hollywood had just opened their doors and said hey why don't we why don't we try just giving some funding to these films right what would happen yeah yeah i heard he has his own like um like film studio and it's specifically for like um uplifting like black creators and like giving them opportunities which is like dope as Uh hell i have been pretty desperately wanting to ask this question but does it matter to you these stories these pieces of art um movies shows etc comics books um we talked about how we have grown up reading these perspectives one by white people and two from the white perspective so i want to ask if it matters to you you know especially if it is from the black perspective which i'm not sure how a a white person or another person of color who's not black would be able to but it's and in fact it kind of gives me like scarlett johansson vibes they did (laughs) does it matter to you who creates that art and if those topics are addressed maybe if it's not a black panther in terms of it being the main topic does it matter to you that it is someone who has personally experienced those things versus someone who has like researched them or has friends who have gone through Mm -hmm. those things I actually feel very strongly about this. I've had this conversation a lot this past year, actually, with different groups of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've addressed this to a theater company. Mm -hmm. I think that it is okay for a person that maybe is not Black or that is white to say, hey, I would really love to like amplify this story and tell the story that interests me. But I don't think it's okay for them to do that without a, a single Black person, ideally more than just one Black person, a group of Black people on their team. You can't realistically tell this story, produce this story, direct this story, make it authentic and true. Like no matter how much research you do, it will never change the color of your skin and the the experiences that a black person has had. Mm -hmm. 
one of my favorite people in the game right now is Michael B. Jordan, because he really helped to roadmap this thing called an inclusion writer that a lot of studios are picking up. And it basically is talking about you need to make sure that you have more women on your set. You need to make sure you have more people that are a part of various communities on your set. You need to make sure that you hire people that are minorities, that are LGBTQ plus, that are X, Y, and Z. You need to make sure that all of these people are on your set because when you're telling these stories, you're closing off so much of the story and you're closing out so many people from it. And so more and more studios, as I understand, have been adapting to that way of thinking and trying to borrow from his inclusion writer. And I think that's really important. You know, I literally just had this conversation with the theater because I did a show uh, maybe two years ago now, and it was a powerful show. It was the first predominantly Black cast that that theater had had, mm-hmm. um, which is wild for one, because that theater was the theater that, you know, Grace Kelly, like, got her start at, like, back in, like, the early 1900s. And that theater has been around since the 1800s. Wow. And this is its first show, like, a few years ago. And I was cast as a lead in that. And in the show, I played a conservative Black woman, which was very hard for me because I am not a conservative. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, Yeah. <laughs> And the theme of the play, or the plot rather, of the play was, not a lot of people know this, but at the very beginning stages of forming this country and figuring out where to put the White House, they had different places that they were planning to put it. And Philadelphia was one of those places. And they were actually building the White House. And they got about as far as the slave quarters. And then, you know, they had that in Hamilton, they call it the room where it happened. They had that famous little dinner. And then they ended up putting it, you know, in DC and blah, 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 all that stuff happened. So if you go into Philadelphia down where they have like, they call it Independence Mall, where they have all of the, all of the historic stuff, mm-hmm. um, you can actually walk to where they have slave quarters. And they have this video that plays um, and it has these different people that represent random slaves, except for one or two of them are actual slaves. And there's this one slave named Oni. She was George Washington's slave. Well, I think she was technically Martha Washington's slave, but the, when they got married, she became also George Washington's slave, something of that line. And her story is not well-known, but it's more known because she's somebody that was constantly trying to gain her freedom from George Mm -hmm. Washington. And so there's a lot of history there that I could dive into, but the play was about um, all of the drama that happened when this was formed. And my character was actually based off of a man um, instead of, but they made it into a woman when they were writing the show. And essentially this person was kind of, trying to appease the more conservative white group that was in charge of this site and building this little museum spot in Philadelphia. And there was a lot of history that they didn't want to be included in there. There was a lot that they didn't want people to know. They didn't want to talk about, you know, Oni, and they didn't want to talk about George Washington in a negative light. Mm. And so this woman was definitely viewed as like an Uncle Tom, or this person rather was definitely viewed as an Uncle Tom, definitely had some questionable, Mm. (laughs) some questionable things going on. And so for me as an actress, you know, it's really, no matter what your methodology is, if you are playing somebody that is so different from you, but that's also like the fact that they are, you know, a person of color is so important in the mm-hmm. show. It's a really emotionally heavy thing to deal with. And I happen to also have been doing that show. Um, I started the process of working on that show about a couple weeks after my dad passed. Mm-hmm. And so I was just heavily laden with a lot of emotion dealing with that show, trying to understand the character, trying to deal with, you know, doing these really intense scenes with 
who I guess was technically my character's antagonist, but to a lot of other people was really the protagonist of the story because he was the one that was like, you should be for your people. You should be lifting up their voices. You should be telling the true story. And we would have to go toe to toe and I would have to put myself like into this character and we would get really worked up and emotional in this show. We worked and I worked on that character for like six, seven wow. months. And I remember um, between, you know, from when it first started all the way till the final performance, being so emotional at different times and as kind and caring as the production team was, they were all mm. white. And the only person that was black on the team wasn't technically uh, part of the necessarily production side. He more so did like the technical stuff and he didn't really feel as comfortable offering like suggestions or anything. He was just more concerned with, I can't really hear you. Yeah. We didn't have any person in the, you know, seat that actually was black that we could go to and say like, this is a really heavy scene. We had people that are playing slaves. We had a person playing Oni Judge. We had these really intense scenes talking about these really intense topics. And at the same time, because we had these very, you know, well-meaning, well-researched team members, they didn't understand everything. So we had to stop and explain things from what a weave was to, you know, what this means emotionally and it was really hard because I feel like there has to be some type of cutoff because when you're an actor an artist and you guys know this when you're doing something that's so close and personal to you you know you don't mind necessarily at least I don't think you you know more normally as artists we don't mind talking a little about about the emotional aspect of whatever Mm -hmm. we're working on but if it comes down to something super personal about you know whether it be race sexuality whatever you it's good to have somebody there that can kind of foster that and kind of nurture that conversation a bit and not make you so heavily you know you don't have to be the person that's basically educating every single person yeah like an HR performance art like like that's not your job like you're the actor you're not the the writer the the consultant like that's yeah, because like the people, the people who should be brought on to these teams, like lending their voice in order for the thing to be good and well educated, these are people who should have volunteered to do that. Like these shouldn't be actors who are like, yes, I will lend my existence to right. um to this character. That's not that's not what they're there for, and that's not what you were there for. You know, like you were there to yeah. like to play the part, and of course, if you had like emotional problems playing the part there should also be somebody that you can go to who would be able to understand you who's part of that team but you also shouldn't be the one doing the explaining so that's like you're working three jobs you're yeah Yeah. and it's emotionally tiring and with that also comes for people that they want to tell these stories. It's like, if you want to tell these stories, but you can't find it within you to also include the person the story is actually about on your team, are you doing it because you want to tell the story? Or are you doing it because you want to get the clout for right. doing it? Because you, I literally have been to an audition and it was about these three women. Um, and I think one man in the south, on the south side of Chicago. And my aunt, my mom's best friend, is from the south side of Chicago. So I know exactly how she sounds. I know exactly what the cadence of her voice is like. I know, like, she tells so many stories. I'm best friends with her daughter. Like, I know what it sounds like if we are from the south side of Chicago. And I wasn't trying to put on any airs or anything. I was just reading it in this similar cadence to how she speaks. 
because um, the character was described relatively with a similar background to her. And they stopped me and they basically said, she sounds too black. But they didn't say those exact words. They said, she's more educated, so she wouldn't speak the way you're speaking. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. And I, (laughs) in that moment, I was like, I I finished the audition because, you know, you have to, you have to be composed and you can't be the, the, you know, angry black woman. So I finished the audition. I corrected myself. And then I literally was like, I hope I don't get this show. And even if I do, I will not be doing this show because I don't want to be a part of this team. And it was an all white team that I was auditioning for. It was an all white crew for this team. And I remember just being so insulted because I was like, my aunt has all of these degrees. My aunt is very well educated. My aunt is, she is ma- a very masterful person. And she sounds mm-hmm. like this, you know? And if you if you said, we didn't envision the character sounding like this, could you switch up the cadence? Could you do this? Could you switch up how this, do- could you just change something? I would be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But for you to just tell me that this is basically just too black for you immediately that and that's the issue that I feel like happens so often it's like you have to be put in a box of what they think that this person of color sounds like this person of color looks like this person of color acts like and you can't be anything outside of yeah and that is still in shock that they like did that and then also equated like blackness to being uneducated like what the actual Mm-hmm. yeah oh so many yeah. people do that yeah for sure it, it, it was it was just the funniest thing is I ended up um becoming friends with another actor and we'd never crossed paths at least knowingly before this past year and but we have both had dealings with both theaters that I'm talking about and he and I both were like we will never audition for the theater that I just mentioned again like we were like he was so angry because he for a completely different show had very similar experiences and it was just crazy that it's just an ongoing thing I'm like this is just how you guys are out here just living your lives pretending to be super woke like you're not you just want the clout to say that you did something that was pervasive in a time where people are really hush hush about racism you know and now that it's coming more to the forefront I'm sure that once COVID is over and it's safe to kind of do theater in the way that it used to be you're going to see a lot of these shows popping up but you're probably not going to see a lot of you know, people with any melanin on them, you know, behind the scenes. I I would not be surprised at all because that's the way it's been for a really long time. It's like, it's just crazy to me that people can do all this research, 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 read all these books. Like they have, they have the effort and the energy to read books and watch documentaries and do this, but they can't fucking like reach out on Twitter or like reach out to a black friend and be like, hey, can you, can I get your input on this? Or like, can you help me write this? Like, it's just, it blows my mind. It honestly blows Mm -hmm. my mind. And that it's such, it's such a last thought for mm-hmm. most people to like oh maybe i should get like a minority opinion on it maybe i should get a black opinion maybe i should get a hispanic opinion on this like yeah it's so like on the back burner yeah for so many people it's like a group of men writing a show yeah. about women and not including a on single their, woman yeah. In oh the show. yeah well i'm sorry you had to go through that yeah um and 
it's not even so much like for me hard to believe like all of these things as it is just like I mean of course it shouldn't be that way the reason I can believe it is because like I've like seen it happen too and like especially the point about equating cadences to being intelligent or not intelligent whereas they don't realize these are just like different ways of speaking and that like they are equating their own way of speaking with being more intelligent and i'm not surprised that they don't see that as you were saying like these are people who have jobs people who have the time and money to like do the work and find this shit out or at least like have a little bit of critical thinking going on (sighs) and like it just it isn't going on it's not happening if you have the time resources to write a fucking play put on a production hire actors then you have the fucking money or resources to reach out to the people you're actually writing about yeah like, there is no fucking excuse my guy no fucking excuse anymore no that's true guess that brings us to the topic of people who are looking to earn this title of ally and like um those people as you were saying who are just kind of like trying to look or seem woke or make their company seem that way seem is the key yeah. word what what do you actually think would make a good ally obviously not doing any of that (laughs) and i know it's a big question just if if you could envision an ally that was doing the most seriously helping and seriously making change yeah um i'm probably gonna have to talk a little bit about this to kind of work my way through it because i have a lot of thoughts running through my mind but um i think one is just transparency Mm -hmm to start being very transparent about just with yourself being very transparent about maybe things that were done in the past things that you noticed but didn't address things that maybe you did notice and asking why I didn't notice that you know um I think transparency is really really important Mm -hmm. number two is understanding being just very understanding having I'm gonna get emotional I already already feel it happening having um Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd happened in the span of a few months, few weeks, really. It felt like a few seconds. Having all of that piled on back to back to back and another protest and another round of, you know, oh, well, he was a criminal. Oh, well, she was dating this person. Oh, well, he shouldn't have been running in this neighborhood. And seeing people just trying to justify again. What happened, it is, there there are genuinely no words to describe how hard it is to watch people get lynched in 2020. There are no words to describe that. There are no words to describe how hard it is to know that as horrific as what happened to Ahmaud Aubrey and as horrific as what happened to George Floyd, the fact that Breonna Taylor still hasn't gotten justice that people are just actively ignoring what happened to her and feeding excuses. And they're showing that Black women do not matter in this country. There is no words to describe how hard that is. And so when the protests were starting, you know, you saw some people kind of going out there and saying, oh, we got to stand up. We have to go out, you know, and it's always great, you know, in the past when this has happened to see white people coming and, and, and being allies and stuff and other people that were minorities. But 
it was really important, obviously, that white people were the ones that were noticing it. But I'm going to be completely honest because I feel like a lot of Black people that I have spoken mm-hmm. with felt this way. Before now, every time it has fallen off and it has been a, a bit of support and then it just kind of falls away and it happens again and we're left yeah. by ourselves. And we're like, okay, we matter today, but you know, how much more mm-hmm. do we matter tomorrow? To wake up and watch in my city that I grew up in where I woke up one morning to somebody putting the swastika, somebody put the swastika sign on my door and written the word nigger underneath it to my parents who were two black Philadelphia police officers and my dad was on the SWAT team having to deal with so much racism inside of their own police departments and being retired officers that still went to protests and still were the first ones to say, yo, these police are racist. Like you Mm -hmm. need to do better and calling out the stuff that they experienced to remembering growing up and being terrified when the police would put out that they were looking for a black man and we would have to very quickly call every black man in my family to make sure that they were not on the street that night. That, you know, when Mike Brown died, my brother, my brother's name is Michael. And I only saw the name Mike Brown. I didn't know what happened. I, I, I just heard a name that I've heard people call my brother and just to go through this every day, every year, to constantly see stuff like this happening, it is overwhelming in a way that there are no words for. And so I think that what allies have to understand is that Black mm-hmm. people need time because it is overwhelming enough to go through what we're going through. But then to finally have people seemingly get it and to say, we have to stop this. It is, there's, it's, it was so hard to process because it was like, we were afraid to believe it. You know, we were genuinely afraid to believe it. I remember um, when I was in school, I would proudly talk about this and I haven't talked about it in years because people didn't believe me and they would like belittle me for saying it. But like, you know, Dr. King, when he went to different cities, he would try to meet with local black families and try to talk. And so my family members got to talk with him and they got to meet him and they got to spend time with him. And, you know, it was my older family members, but that's something that they were always so proud of. And, you know, to think that I had these older family members that had to go through all of this and that we're still going through it now. It's just a lot. And every single time they were let down by people that said, we've got you, we've got your back. We're going to be there because they weren't there, you know? And so for this time to be the first time that I have really seen, I think honestly, even more than the civil rights movement, people genuinely coming together to go to protest and see people saying, if they start shooting, stand behind me to see a wall of moms in Portland link yeah. arms, a wall of white moms link arms and protect black protesters, protect protesters in general, but know that there are black people that they are going to be aiming yeah. for in particular. To see that it is, it is overwhelming. It is beautiful and it means so much, but it is overwhelming and it's so hard mm-hmm. to process because I think that I had to genuinely, I didn't talk to people for about a month because I had to make sure it was real. I could not allow myself to get my hopes up and then have them crushed again 
when nothing changed. And so I think to be an ally, you need transparency, you need understanding, and then you need to actually put action behind your words. Because it doesn't just stop, you know, I heard somebody say it before, and it's very true. Black Lives Matter isn't a spirit week. It is a truth that is a truth every single day, rain, snow, sunshine, whatever. It doesn't just mean where we matter when a police is aiming a gun at us. It means that we matter in the boardroom. It means that we matter when you're at work and you hear somebody making really inappropriate jokes. It means that we matter in the classrooms. It means that we matter on the internet. It means that we matter. And it means like actively acknowledging the fact that in the healthcare system, black women are not being cared for. Black women are dying at crazy rates in childbirth because there are textbooks that doctors were raised with that believe that black women can handle more pain than a white woman. That a lot of modern day gynecology practices were created because of a doctor that would practice by mutilating black women without any anesthetic. Oh my God. Because he didn't think that they could really feel pain. And even if they did, who cares? They were slaves. That a lot of the major scientific discoveries that we've had in modern medicine are from this black woman named Henrietta Lacks. I didn't even know they had taken a part of her cancerous cells to study all of this. And her family did not receive money from the millions of dollars made off of her body. And that she was treated poorly and wasn't even allowed to be treated the same way that these other white women were because she was a black woman. Yeah. We have to acknowledge all of that. And we have to, like, if you want to be an ally, then you have to be here for all of that fight. You know, when we say like, oh, this person is, that's the thing that black people say is um, this person's invited to the cookout. This is the cookout. This is it. The cookout isn't just, you know, pulling up and dancing along. The cookout is yeah. riding for us. You know, and you have to understand that. And it's not easy. And I understand it's a lot if this is something that, you know, you've never acknowledged, that you've never had to deal with, and you've never really thought of. It's going to definitely shake your world. But, you know, if it shakes your world for five minutes and makes, you know, it's safe for every Black child that has to have that talk very early on, like my niece very recently did with my sister when people would not want to play with her because she's brown. Or when, you know, you have to say, if you walk by a police officer, do this, don't do this. You can't have these toys because if the cop sees you with these toys, you could lose your life. Black children don't get to be children in the same way that white children do. And you have to be able to acknowledge all of that. You have to be able to acknowledge all of that. And you have to be willing to really really call it out and really be active in whatever platform you use, but whether it's the dinner table, whether it's social media, whether it's at your job, whatever it is to tr constantly be willing to try and make a change. I'm not saying like every conversation you have with your family has to be about what's mm -hmm. happening on the news, but have these hard conversations, have these serious conversations, call for change, call stuff yeah. out, yeah. you know, call stuff out, vote that is so important that is one of the best ways you can be an ally i know i know that there's like a group of our generation that believes that their best protest is not voting but Jesus. that pisses me off because black people literally died to yeah. get the right to vote 
because we didn't have it. So vote, because when you vote, you can actively make a difference in something that could literally save lives, could literally prove that a black life matters because you're out there voting. You know, so my ideal ally is somebody that is just genuinely trying to be the best version of themselves and trying to make the country, the world that they live in, force itself to be the best version that it is too. They say that America is supposed to be the land of the free, so we should be demanding that it lives up to what it claims to be. It hasn't. It has yet to live up to what it claims to be. And so I think that that is, in my eyes, I hope that, you know, makes sense how I said it, but in my eyes, that is how you show that you are a true yeah. ally, you know, is those, those, those main things to me. That's, that's oh, the most Thank important. you so much for sharing that. Like, that was so powerful. That was yeah. the most effective, for, forthright, most, most powerful thing that I have heard in uh, these whole three months. <laughs> thank you of what this whole movement has been. And like, um, what's at stake? Because it's easy as someone who's not black, who's kind of on the fringes, like I'm like putting myself in, trying to put myself in those shoes, like trying to imagine a reality where I have to explain to my niece the same things that you have to explain to your niece. And like, I'm just so heartbroken. And just to know that it's it's a reality Yeah. for a massive chunk of the country, if not the world. Yeah. And like, as an ally, I have the choice to just like, okay, I don't want to like look at this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to blah, blah, blah. Like so many people, that's their life. Yeah. That is the burden Mm -hmm. that they have to carry. The burden they did not ask for. Like, it's just, I'm honestly speechless. Like, I thank you so much for sharing that. Like, yeah, thank you. I can't, I can't bring like words to it. It's hard to, you know, say just how like, how powerful that was. Yeah. Well, thank you for, you know, allowing me to have an opportunity to even say yeah. it, you know? And like, I just want to, I just want to like go back a little and talk about, like you mentioned, like you don't want to be the angry black woman, you know? And it's so sad that like society is such that you can't, voice basic truths without white people or like non-black people being like la 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 like I don't want to hear it like la 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 like oh you're just being angry right now because they cannot imagine the reality of what you're going through mm-hmm. like yeah. the fact that they are so caught up on in this delusion they're like yeah America's fine America's free for everyone everyone's uh, like they just live in this worldview and they cannot they would rather keep this fantasy and this illusion going than actually like stand with you and their worldview is that way because america is all of those guarantees for them Mm -hmm. all of the promises that america makes to people they deliver for them and they don't do it for a certain group of people and they don't see that so they don't stand with it but you saying what you just said like the way personally it like penetrated my consciousness about like just just what it means you know the realities that you have to face i don't know there are things there are things that once you hear them yeah they change you yeah yeah yeah. forever yeah and that was one of those things yeah 100 percent. i just can't believe i'm i can't believe that, that like i just heard that and i'm like talking to the person who said that because that was just amazing yeah 